Welcome to a new episode of Ramblings with the Grappleman. Hopefully my audio issues from the last two weeks are resolved. Uh, no wind interference today. It's uh, only 45 degrees outside and got the windows shut up. It's uh, rather late at night, so hopefully Houdini's asleep and he uh, has no run-ins here on today's episode. Um, and I'm going to do something a little bit different here. Uh, from the last two episodes, actually, um, it's going to fall more in the vein of the last one, but it's going to be more, more just sort of talking about my week, uh, reflection um, about what has been going on in the life of uh, old Matthew Priest here. Um, so, past week, very interesting one to say the least. Um, you know, most of these podcasts are going to be wrestling based. Um, just going to be me and let my ramblings out covering all my interests so we might be broadening the scope here and i'm just going to dump things out of my head but in the future i think i might expand into a little bit of music sports of course wrestling just other things again just whatever's on my mind and uh that being said with this week being very interesting as i alluded to um i had to do something i had never done before um and i had to make a tough decision we we decided to put one of our pets down our cat named Tinkerbell was born in our bed in April of 2004 in the middle of the night. Um, you know, going back to, to that period, she was, you know, 16 and a half years old. We had her apartment uh, for the first time in February of that year. Uh, decided to foster a cat. I was never much of a cat person uh, to begin with there. I just always had this thought where you can never... You never trust them. You look into a cat's eyes, and you just can't, you just can't trust the cat, right? Um, so, I, I'll get more into that. I think uh, in a few minutes, uh, where it'll hold true, and I can, I can kind of say that a little bit with a smile. But um, you know, they're spiteful little bastards. Uh, they're jerks most of the time. That's why I was never really a cat person. I always lose a dog guy. Um, Initially, I was very against having a cat, but we had a, a dog at the time, a little dog named Darwin, who was you know, the coolest little dude. Uh, those of you listening who got to know him or you know are aware of who he is, he was he was awesome. He was, he was in you know wedding and everything, but the best little guy you could ask for as far as a dog goes. Um, but we were fresh living together; only only been living together for about two months. First time on our own. You know, I was 20 years old, so it was kind of like their first decision on uh, on having this cat, and I originally said no. So after several days of persuasion and, you know, of course being asked and explained on how fostering a cat would be temporary, and if it didn't work out and you didn't like it, you could give it back. And I had had some cat allergies in the past, and I just could deal with it, right? So, of course, the big softy I am, I cave, and uh, we end up fostering this cat. Well, this cat turned out it was pregnant. Um, and in fast forward a couple weeks, and that's when Tink and Dot uh, get born um, right in the middle of the bed around 3 a.m., I believe it was. So, that was just... Uh, it's a very interesting night as I had to work. I think it was like 6 a.m. Um, putting CDs on a shelf at my, my job at Target. But Tink and Dot uh, were born. We kept those two cats out of the litter of five. They're three sisters. And uh, the mom cat we had gave back to the fostering agency. They all ended up getting into homes, which was awesome. Um, but having two little kittens and a, and a dog and 
you know, place on her own. There's a lot of responsibility suddenly in my life. Um, but, you know, I always like to look back at that and, and, and cherish that because, you know, we had these, these two cats that got to be born. Uh, I got to witness their birth and they weren't born in some alley somewhere. So they actually got to have a life and could be fulfilling and they were spoiled and we definitely spoiled the hell out of the cats. Uh, but their first five years of life were in that apartment. They grew up. Um, some wild stories just involving Tink here. Um, as, as I mentioned, we had to put her down this week. So, you know, in the first five years, her tail caught on fire a couple times through candles and not understanding that she was a long-haired cat walking past candles. Um, she uh, did kill some pet hamsters and lay their carcasses out as gifts. Um, she was known to fall out the windows of a second story apartment by jumping out of the screen and, and just doing other things of that nature. And later on in life, falling through a window at a, at a home and being lost for 12 hours. So she was definitely a curious, uh, adventurous cat. Um, but it was never a dull moment with Tinkerbell. Um, you know, she loved wrestling, which is funny to say her and her sister would only fight and wrestle around when wrestling was on the TV. Um, or MMA, they they would see it and it would just get them fired up and almost like two little kids, they they start to tussle with each other and um, yeah, I made for some interesting moments and sometimes um, yeah, get a, get a little carried away, but they're they're cats and they were sisters and um, it was just funny how wrestling would uh, would would do that and and bring that out when she would watch with us, um, but as as we get older. You know, cats just become part of your everyday life, and you start to notice those things. They do less and less and less. You just take them for granted like, like you do with other people, I, I think. Um, but they found just, you know, she found a spot in my heart and found a spot in several people's hearts, and I think that's what animals do in general, right? And as, as they explore, as they get older, they, they kind of figure out their domain and their living spaces that, that they enjoy to be in, and, and they claim them and make them their own. Um I'll always remember Tinkerbell being a playful, curious, affectionate cat who loved beef jerky and had just the softest little paws and touch whenever she'd take it out of your hand. Um, one of the things I'll miss the most about her, even though it's been a while since I've done that for her, um, but she liked to look outside and, and judge the entire neighborhood. It, you know, it, it does suck she's gone. Um, and it's been a good outlet, I think, for me to to, to dump this information out here. And, and I'll get more into the stuff you people are, are tuning into here for a minute as I've babbled about a, a cat most of you don't know for about six minutes. Um, but I never knew I could love a cat um, really until her. I, I'd loved dogs before, of course, and, and people. But just a cat was never, never a cat guy. You still can't trust a cat. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we made that difficult decision. Um, I believe it was a Wednesday afternoon, and her sister Dot uh, did. She's she's healthy and doing well, and and we decided um, let's 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 open up the house more. Let's let her explore. Let's open some doors and and make sure that she's got free reign of the house and and can be happy and and get more attention rather than being like a kitchen dweller like she had been. Um. So. What made her happy apparently was that she was going to piss right in the middle of my bed. And uh, her and her sister used to love to get me all riled up. And I, I used to have the, the think that they would like like to laugh at the, the fat bald guy and look at him get all mad and red in the face at us for our mischievous behavior. And I feel like they would always go and, and laugh. So 
as irritating and as annoying as it is, as anyone knows, and you, you go to go to bed and you're like, you got to be effing kidding me. But um, this time she gets a free pass. Um, but Dot broke the trust, as she usually does. And, you know, as I changed that out, I was able to, to turn the negative into a positive and, and truly believe and feel that, um, you know, it was almost like that one last prank that Dot, Dot decided to play on me. Um, let me know it was her all along that was uh, causing those types of issues and, and not Tink and, you know, one last laugh, I suppose. Um, but, you know, that's where you fool me once, shame on shame on me, uh, or however that goes. Shame on you, fool me twice, shame on whatever. You guys know the thing. I don't. I'm d- delirious right now. But, uh, uh, you know, she just won't She won't have free reign anymore. Dot learn her lesson and... Um, you know, she gets a free pass on that one. But you know, one thing I used to always say with uh, with with Tink, um, I had like a little theme song for uh, for my wrestling fans out there, which most of you probably are. There was the, the WWE wrestler Sting, uh, legendary pro grappleman. He uh, had his theme song, "The Man Called Sting." Well, I used to say, you know, the cat called Tink, and eventually it turned into "Cat Named Tink." Cat Named Tink, and I would just make up different lyrics through it whenever she'd do something. So. Just, uh, you know, you ramble it out, but Tink, this uh, rest of this episode is going to be dedicated to you. Um, a little little uh, pet heaven up there where hopefully her and Darwin are, are united and um, and happy. Uh, as they did get along real well. In fact, when Darwin passed, it was like Tink who kind of tipped it off as she was on a shelf just staring at him. And, you know, I'll never forget, never forget that day and, and her emotion to it. So she, she's definitely going to be missed. Um, which I never thought I would say, but I, I already feel it after just a couple days and, and a very tough thing to do, as I'm sure most of y'all here have had to do and um, can relate to that. But I've uh, flapped my gums about a cat for about 10 minutes, so uh, I'm going to keep going on to a few other things here. And since the theme of this is going to be cat-related, uh, I'll talk about some cats in wrestling. But I think first uh, let's talk about our cats here in the Detroit area where I'm from. Uh, we've got... The Tigers playing baseball. We got the Lions playing football. Uh, the Tigers, uh, most likely at this time of recording this, are not going to make the expanded playoffs. But hey, they're still playing meaningful September baseball, and that's something I would take every single year. Um, the one bright spot about about seeing this shortened season is uh, going to be very optimistic about this team's future. Uh, they're going to have a pretty good team. Uh, I think you know, go two or three years away from really possibly being a division title contender i could baseball's not my strongest sport hockey football are where i'm most passionate about but i really like like a lot of the youth that they're playing and getting out there and some of the moves they made in the offseason let the pay off i mean your team that i think guys i'm recording this is three games out of a playoff spot with about 13 games to go so not totally lost you get streaky on a seven eight game win streak and they've got a shot but I'm not going to hold my hat on it. I don't think they're going to make it. But, uh, you know, in three years, I, I think this team could be potential contender. Um, what that means, I don't know if it's a division. I don't think they're necessarily a World Series team in three years. But baseball is kind of strange. Teams rise really, really fast and fall even quicker nowadays. Um, so you never know. I mean, there's the Red Sox just won the World Series two, three years ago, and they're the, the worst team in baseball. And I know it happened with the Royals in recent years as well. So teams – Teams can get good really fast, and right when they get to get to competing for championships, it seems like they they can drop. So weird sport baseball is, but it's happy that the Tigers are playing good, and uh, hopefully we can have some excitement for that team in the future. 
And um, the, the other kitty-related team here in Detroit, our good old faithful Detroit Lions, playing their first game of the season recently. And, um, well, they started their season with the most Lions defeat possible. More things change, more they stay the same. The folks I usually talk football with, uh, well, no, I believe they're going to be a, a six-win team at best this year, possible one-and-three start. Well, that lost to the Bears did not surprise me in any way, shape, or form, and the way they lose doesn't either. However, they always find a way to suck you in, so it almost makes you wonder whoever their booker is. Those bookers in football, they have the the Lions booker has the best finishes of all time. He's a Gary Hart or Pat Patterson type, if you will, and taking an old finish that we've seen before and putting a new twist on it and just sucking you in, grabbing you, and and, and just doing different things. It's uh, it's great psychology that this organization is still able to have the faith of millions hanging on and dishing out their cash after 60 years of the worst football at the professional level. Um, you know, they give you two good seasons every 10 years, and they keep you sucked in, and they keep bleeding you dry, your cash, uh, faithful hope, and clinging on. Somehow that clearly, clearly that hope that's never really going to be there or has been there. Um so as we hope for more exciting Lions games this year and hope that the bookers out there um, got some more exciting football in store for us to, to tear at our heartstrings. Um, the bookers on the wrestling side of the house should be taking notes um, on all these things through the years that the Lions uh, do to us. So um, look forward to another exciting Lions season, 5-16, win team at best. Hopefully they fire the coach. Uh I'm not a fan of firing coaches after two every two three years. I, I'm a believer that consistency in that sport's key. I was one of the few who didn't want Jim Caldwell fired. I totally understand why they had to do it. Um, it wasn't necessarily 100% anti the firing, but I was probably 75 and had many many debates saying they're going to be worse by firing him. You cannot keep changing your system and expect for the best and. Again, I, I realized he needed to go, but I also believe that giving him another year would was would have been what I would have done in that if I was a general manager. And I'm not just saying hindsight's 2020 because I remember arguing with people in Las Vegas after the Super Bowl of the Patriots and Eagles um, when Jim Caldwell was fired and Matt Patricia was going to be the head name, the head coach the next day, and debating with some friends heavily about that where I was on my own island. I was on my own Caldwell Island, but um, I, I, I fought the battle and i still believe that consistency is key when you look at successful organizations like the steelers um and the patriots who've of course been really good with the, with a similar regime but you know the steelers have had what three head coaches in 40 50 years i mean you know noel cower tomlin that's it and they are a very successful franchise and yeah they've had some six and ten and seven and nine seasons but you know find your guy have faith in him go with a long-term plan and hopefully uh, this next guy is able to do that. But on to the grappling, on to the bookers, the men who make the decisions for the Detroit Lions outcomes. Let's talk some grappling. Let's talk some cats and grappling. Enough of these Detroit cats. Um, you know, you know, and it's funny because with this with Tinkerbell, I, I, I get to thinking, and I, you know, wrestling's always in the brain. So I somehow I'm always related to that. As I mentioned, you know, her sister would wrestle, so. I I think a cat themed wrestlers is what I'm gonna go with here, and of course you got to start with a big cat, Ernie Lad. A couple other people popped in head: big cat, black cat, battle cat, Ernest the Cat Miller, and the cat. So Ernie Lad, um, probably the most legendary of uh, legendary of all the cat figures in wrestling. Um, I never got to see him live; he was before my lifetime. Um, 
performing. But um, you know, you hear a lot of stories through them through the years, and you go back and try to find some footage. It, it was it was hard to find footage um, 15 years ago when I was first looking looking into some more Bill Watts era, um, you know, mid south. As a kid, I remember being UWF before WCW bought it. So you get that education, you know, when you get older and you go, oh, I had a Bill Watts Mid-South and wrestling. And, you know, I had, I had a little bit of a Bill Watts kick there for a minute. And I still think he's one of the – one of the. I, I still like his style and some of my favorite errors in wrestling involve him being behind the scenes. Um, I know he's not the the best human being on the planet, but uh, the guy knew his pro wrestling, and and Ernie Ladd was his right hand for a long time behind the scenes. But I wanted to see Ernie Ladd work, and um, you know, I got I got to find some tapes through some tape trading and of Mid South, and, and was fortunate to get to see some Ernie Ladd in the the late '60s and early '70s work. And he always had the crowd behind him. I mean, he was really just like a true villain's villain in in the olden days of wrestling. And it was something to behold because you've got this six foot eight, three hundred pound uh, African American man who, in in that time, most African Americans were baby faces, and, and he was playing up this true villain, especially one who's coming out of the NFL, well noted, well notable player. Played, I believe it was with the Chargers. I could be wrong on that, but I believe he played with the Chargers in the '60s. They won AFL championships. This predates the uh, NFL. Yeah, the uh, um, predates the NFL as we know it in the, the Super Bowl. So in the early '60s, uh, he was winning championships with the Chargers. He's defensive lineman, six eight, six nine, three hundred pounds or so. And I'm trying to picture, remember the commentary of uh, McGurk and. And Watts or, uh, or Ross, uh, I think Jr. would always say, "Yo, six eight, three hundred pound cat." So um, this, this mammoth dude, and here he is playing up uh, the old football injury angle, and um, he was he would cheat in his matches and use foreign object, um, like taping up the thumb, is is what the tape I remember. You know, they really got this thumb gimmick over um, that. And his promo was outstanding as well behind it. Um, so he, he, he was just masterful with psychology on, on how to get heat. So, so, again, you have a professional athlete, professional football player, well-known well at the time and in the era, era, and he's cheating, and he's using excuses for it. He was just a true villain's villain. He would say these football injuries, and he had these taped fingers that he would use to gouge eyes. And, the, like I said, the thumb was the was the main weapon, and he'd gouge it into the neck and – and put people away with that Asiatic spike. Um, but he was just a master in psychology on how to get over. And that's just because you were a tough guy, badass in real life, which he was, doesn't mean you had to want to be pro wrestling. Uh, you don't let your, get, so your insecurities uh, get in the way of getting over. Um, you know, Ernie Ladd was a six foot eight, 300 pound all pro badass who played as a coward and he needed to to use these these things to his advantage um in the promos he cut our army and our master masterful and the guy legendary figure as we know it but sometimes these old timers you don't see the footage you don't have it and um if you can find it definitely look up some ernie lad um where i've really grown to respect him a lot um is behind the scenes because that's where my passion with pro wrestling uh, still lies. And it has a producer, agent, booker. You know, he helped a lot of young talent um, in the Mid-South in the late 70s and early 80s. And really, like, the main guy being uh, Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog's probably not the box office attraction 
that he became in that territory, especially in New Orleans and uh, um, you know the Louisiana area where he blew up. Without that feud from the Big Cat, you know, and, and Ernie Ladd really helped launch Junkyard Dog go figure um, as being like that that catapult villain uh, to to give Dog to the next level uh, to get him in there with Diviasi and, and eighty thousand, you know, not eighty thousand, you know, forty thousand people in the Superdome, wherever the hell it was. Um, but uh, but Dog was launched by Cat, ironically enough, and it was, you know, Big Cat Ernie Ladd continued to work on that angle behind the scenes with Junkyard Dog and helping him become a better better baby face um you know and and he really did was involved my favorite year in w in all of wrestling is 1992 and i love 92 93 wcw even some 91 um you know and ernie ladd was involved behind the scenes there a little bit um helping out with bill watts so there was a guy mr hughes was a wrestler in wcw they turned him into big cat and they, they tried to mon- moniker after uh, ernie ladd a little bit uh, by calling him the big cat, they even teamed him up with Junkyard Dog, try to give him get him the rub. Um, and, and you saw in the, that's when Ron Simmons uh, became the world heavyweight champion. So Ernie Cat, very legendary figure um, in pro wrestling, and, and a lot to do with a historical, iconic booking. And, and you look at those times, and, and you see the diversity throughout throughout the rosters. And, and you know, Ernie Ladd had a had his hand in there as well um definitely got to, to check out and the funny thing about the big cat and junkyard dog teaming up is very recently um i happen to be watching um a old wcw saturday night I, uh, sometimes i'll throw from my insomnia mode the cure to insomnia folks is pro wrestling with no volume um but it was a match of wcw saturday night i think i threw on in um probably 92 or so and it was a tag match uh squash match dog and uh Big Cat and um, Junkyard Dog teaming up, taking on two guys. So it's just ironic how things go. And I'm talking Ernie Ladd, talking Big Cat, um, you know, speaking WCW Saturday night. Um, makes me think of the other, another cat wrestler, Black Cat. Black Cat and Battle Cat. Battle Cat was actually WWF guy, so I don't know why I just said that. But Black Cat uh, didn't have a long run, WCW. I, he was one of the luchadors who got brought in from Mexico, and I, I believe he was a older luchador just going off memory here but he wasn't around as long as a lot of the other guys but he, he popped in probably had a match on saturday night a cup of coffee on nitro and was out uh battle cat I, I remember a little bit a little bit more um battle cat was boon he I, I would say it's probably 10 years ahead of his time the guy was a great athlete very agile exciting uh, but his fundamentals were there as well you know, I I would remember having students of mine, and there was a match uh, when I was training people on how to wrestle. It was Brady Boone, not pre Battle Cat era Brady Boone, but it was just Brady Boone and uh, Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler before he was Brooklyn Brawler. It's just two guys, and they're having this match, and they, and they go like twelve minutes, I believe it was. Uh, I used to have remember it was like eleven forty eight. They had a little twelve minute opening match on a like an MSG card, I think it was, and. To me, it was just uh, the, the the match that I wanted to show young students coming in, into wrestling because it was so fundamentally sound. They told a perfect little story. Um, you had a clear-defined heel and brawler. You had a clear-defined babyface and, and Brady Boo and the Battle Cat, and they, they just had a nice little, nice little match. Again, just fundamentally sound, nothing over the top. They told a story. Their finish made sense. And then it, to me, that was a perfect opening opening matchup on a show. Um, 
and I used to tell the, the kids, like, this is a match that you can study and you can have a similar match than this. Anytime you go in front of a new audience, in front of a new promoter, you, you these are the things you want to do, the, the bare bone basics. Um, and you'll get yourself rebooked if you go out there and he's putting you in one of the first matches on a show, which a lot of times do. If you're if you're traveling around and and you're going from from um, promotion to promotion these days, and, and you're popping up into a new promotion, and you're still relatively green in this business, a promoter's most likely going to put you in one of the early matches on the card, and or popcorn match, post intermission, first match on the card doesn't matter. You just go out there and do something fundamentally sound. Don't out there try to try to hit a bunch of high spots. Just go out there, tell your little story, and um, stick to the basics. Hit one nice little high spot, get yourself over. Which in that match, it was um, like the old uh, bad over for the back body drop, and uh, RVD really is the guy who probably is the most synonymous with it. But Lombardi bends over for the backdrop, Alcat backflips over him, you know, like a back-to-back contact and lands on his feet, gives him the O'Connor roll, one-two kick, you know, Lombardi, you know, goes to his feet, wild swing, battle cat, schoolboy, one-two kick out, Lombardi, you know, up again. So they had like a quick pin sequence as the high spot, and it ended with a, you know, uh, I believe he did like a, the old-school victory roll, like a reverse hurricanrana move, just jump up on their shoulders, roll forward, one, two, and it was another another kick out. But it was a flashy little pin sequence, which you which you which is perfect for an opening matchup on a show. You're establishing all these pins, and that you're trying to win a freaking match. So it was just a really well done match, and, and you know, I think he even did like a slingshot uh, shoulder tackle in, in that matchup as well. Um, so it, those were high spots in like 1986 or 87, wherever the hell that was. But uh. You know, just a good little match, and that's what made me think of Battle Cat, who had a little bit of. They tried to do some marketing with him a few years later with that gimmick, and I feel like he, he his opportunity was uh, probably ten years later. He would have really thrived in like a ECW, and then done well on like a the bigger national stage. But anyhow, another cat wrestler that comes to mind, Ernest the Cat Miller. Um, just another guy who was a real life badass and got over by being entertaining and just having fun when going out there. And, uh, you know, maybe think karate men don't fare too well in, in, in pro wrestling. Um, and he didn't, he didn't do well as a karate man. They tried to push him. He wasn't getting over. He got over when he just started being entertaining and dancing around doing the whole James Brown shtick. Um, and, and Ernest, the cat Miller, just a, a fun, memorable character that I, uh, to this day, Ernest um, Cat Miller is 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 just ingrained in my head. Very entertaining guy. Um, then you've got just the wrestler who was known as the Cat. Uh, she <laughs> she was around during the Attitude Era. Sadly, probably most known for either being Jerry Lawler's wife or the time she was completely topless and uncensored on a pay per view. Um, so that's that's kind of the Cat. She was China's mini me for a while, mini China, whatever you want to call her. Um, yeah, I mean, she didn't have a long run, but she was just the cat. And, you know, cats and wrestling are pretty synonymous. Of course, there's tons of tigers and lions and different things like that. But just trying to stick to the cats, uh, you know, I think the Hart family always comes to mind when you, when you hear the stories of cats. And Bret Hart's book had a, quite a few of them. And the cat's just, you know, shitting in the kitchen and stew flicking the turds away and flipping the eggs and uh with the same spatula and, and just not caring. There's cats all over their house. And it, it doesn't surprise you when you see like Natty or Natalia uh, incorporating cats into her character and her logos and her gimmick. Um, yeah, I think it was what total divas um, helped her launch 
launch her cat's Instagram and fame and, and, and just social media in general. And she was all over that with her cat. And, you know, it's kind of a cool little thing uh, for her. Um, and then you got Teddy Hart. How about I put Teddy Hart? Teddy Hart is the guy who brings cats to the ring as his manager and has some videos of him trying to teach him how to do moonsaws and backflips. Uh, definitely something to Google if you haven't seen. I think the cat's Mr. Money is his name, and it was a strange promo with Brian Pillman Jr. and him teaching cats how to backflip, and I think it was for MLW. Really bizarre, but good cats in the hearts, cats in wrestling. Um... You know, I'm still not a cat person. Um, I can find positives with them. With them, can find positives with them. Jeez, I can talk. Um, they can be pretty cool uh, at times. And you know, that promo just reminded me of times I'd play with Tink. Going back to to my cat. Um, and it's gonna it's kind of be a, a good transition here, I think. So, you know, Tink would get a ball and she liked to bat it between her hands almost like stick handle like in hockey um and there was times where i'd kind of play hockey with her a little bit and pass the ball back and forth or whatever and um you know she was again cool cat something cool that she did and me and her had that little bond over but uh i guess that'll be my hockey transition as our stanley cup finals are set tampa bay lightning will face the dallas stars uh hockey's sport i'm very passionate about um Tampa Bay is who I picked to win it all back in July when the league was returning to form and looking at the looking at the bracket layouts and things of that nature. Tampa Bay was the team that I just felt most equipped to win the cup. They've been a contender for God, the last five or six seasons. They've pretty much been in the actually longer than that. There was the Dwayne Rolison year against Boston. So it's really 10 years Tampa Bay have been um, – really in the hunt is, is a potential Stanley Cup finalist. They've been there uh, before, but I, I think this is their year to actually hoist the Cup, even without Steven Stamkos, their captain, and arguably their best player, I, I think it's Nikita Kucherov and Victor Hedman. Uh, personally, Victor Hedman, I think, is the backbone to that team. But um, with Stamkos out, they still they still seem to be the team that's going to hoist the, the Cup up. They're really well coached. John Cooper does a nice job with them. Um but Dallas is no slouch. They're very deep. They're a very talented team. They have a, a perfect mix of veterans and young guys. Um, and I will admit, I thought Calgary was going to knock them out. Um, you know, in in the official first round of uh, of the playoffs. I mean, the thing with the, the new format this year, Dallas and, and Tampa Bay were automatically in the first round. Um, they had the uh, round robin games where, where Calgary and a lot of these other teams, the Islanders, another one who had to play play their way in through like a preliminary round or qualifying round, I believe they called it. Um, but you had, but I, I, I had the Calgary in my bracket upsetting Dallas. I just felt like Calgary was a cohesive unit, and, and Dallas was going to take a minute to get there. Um, and basically because Dallas had a brand-new coach, I believe they fired their coach in January, so they have a new coach in January. They only get about six or seven weeks with the guy before the pandemic hits. Their number one goalie is out. He hasn't played a game and wasn't projected to be playing a game in this postseason. Uh, I think there's six or seven players who were their first season with the team, so are still fine on their chemistry. Yeah, they were veterans and things. So it just made me think that a restart of a league wasn't going to go for well well for a team who had to fire their coach halfway through the season and make all these adjustments. I know it did kind of work for Tampa Bay last year, but they didn't have a pandemic in the middle of the year. They were riding a hot wave, or not Tampa Bay, for St. Louis, riding a hot wave of momentum. So Dallas, or, so Dallas, um, 
you just had a lot, I think, going against them. I just felt like Calgary was going to be a team to knock them out. And um, the more they played, the better they got. And it's when it all kind of came together uh, for them. And they were a team that faced a lot of adversity in that, that Calgary series. I mean, they were down 2-1 to one in the series uh, with two minutes to go and trailing two goals in game four. And Calgary was about to put them, put them not put them away, but go up 3-1. Um, Dallas gets a goal, making it a one-goal game with less than two minutes and 11 seconds to go, and they tie it up. And Joe Pavelski, a longtime veteran with the San Jose Sharks, former captain of that team who's, who's now just in a role-playing role with Dallas, much like Corey Perry, the former a Duck. Um, these guys are all-stars. Not now, but within the last five years, they were on all-star teams, and they're in the twilight of their career. But they're adding this veteran depth and giving the secondary scoring to this Dallas team. And um, they really stepped up and led the group into overtime, getting that goal and tying that series 2-2. Two to two. And that was a pivotal point in their postseason. It changed the whole dynamic for Dallas in this weird playoff. Um, but much like I said a, a couple podcasts ago, a two-goal lead in hockey is the most dangerous lead in sports where a two-arm drop is the most dangerous position in all of wrestling. You get a, a guy to hold, and that arm drops once, it drops twice. It's, it's a dangerous place to be on the offense there because uh, you're letting up a little bit, and there you go. You see the victory in your sights, and that's, that's a perfect example why I use it. Uh, turned Dallas a season whole around, all around here, and they're in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I really like uh, Asa Lindell, um, a defenseman for the Dallas uh, stars. He's not getting the notoriety that you know Haskinen or uh, Klingbeck get, but he's. Um, I think he's the the unsung hero of that defense. He's been outstanding this postseason. It reminds me a lot of when I first noticed uh, Roman Yossi with the Predators. Guys, probably I'm just gonna throw it out there. Maybe seven years ago when I was watching it, and you know they still had, I think they still had Shea Weber at the time, and uh, you know Ek, Ekblad, and you know, they had they had four solid. And Yossi was just kind of making his way into the niche, and I'm like, man, this kid Yossi is going to be a stud for them. Uh, he's a little bit more offensive skilled than Lindell, uh, but they're just both really well coached. They're always in position, and that's the thing I've noticed the most about Lindell. He's always in position. When he has the puck, he makes a smart decision with it, but defensively, um, this kid is, is, is really special. I really like watching him play. Um, he, he's a lot like a guy on the other team for Tampa Bay. Their their best player, in my opinion, Victor Hedman, um, who's probably the best defenseman in all of hockey right now. I mean, of course, it's debatable and arguable. Um, but um, I, I really like Hedman, and that's why I think he's going to lead Tampa Bay to victory. Um, should be a good series. Those who like offense will get plenty of it in the matchup. If you're a hockey fan and you like goals, uh, you'll, you'll see some, some beauties here, I predict. Um, but I think Tampa Bay, in six, is going to hoist the cup. It'll be interesting to see when they do, if it's going to be Stamkos, who hasn't played a single game in the postseason, comes out and accepts it as the captain of the team, or if they go with uh, like Alex Kalorn or uh, Tyler Johnson, one of the alternates, um, who gets to go out there. I don't even think Kucherov has a letter on his jersey. I don't think he's feeling as a third alternate. It could be Ron, though. Um, one of the assistant captains could get it. could be Stamkos. It'll be interesting. Something to look forward to, but who knows. But all I know is being a sports guy that I am, you've got everything right now. In September 2020, um, might be the best month for sports ever, even though we are in a pandemic and fans might not be at at, a, at these games and events. But you got pro wrestling, uh, two big companies. You got WWE, you got AEW on three nights a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You got pro wrestling that you can watch, um, and it's it's good. It's not as bad as people think. They've they've done a lot of cool stuff with it, and it's fun. There's there's 
there's there's can there always be improvement yet yeah, pro wrestling it can always be better but you're a pro wrestling fan you've got that going on the nfl is back they're playing games successful week one um the major league baseball they're finishing up the regular season you've got the nhl and nba championships coming up i think there's four teams left in the nba sorry i'm not a very strong nba uh guide and to know um college football is getting sorted out conferences are playing some games are playing some games are getting canceled still kind of a weird time in college football nonetheless exciting you had the kentucky derby kicking the month off um, what is you know, golf and NASCAR are starting to wind down? Like the U.S. Open is taking place in September this year. So September 2020. No matter what sport you like, it's it's a significant, monumental time in the history of sports. And if you're a sports fan in any way, shape, or form, I mean, just really just keep an open mind and, and embrace these the sports as they are now um, going on this way because so much is going on. It's a very exciting time if you're a fanatic. Um, and the, like I mentioned with 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 the wrestling, it's it's been there with WWE and AEW. NWA is coming back um, this month as well, um, which which is hits close to home for me. I, I've, I've I've got my my prize pupil, if you will, who's competing in there, and you know I've, I've had a chance to try to help come up with some creative for there, which has been awesome. So it's going to be a a, a good month for entertainment. Really happy with uh, with wrestling and sports, and just every night of the week there's something cool going on on the television. Um, so the pandemic's not totally bad if if this September sports works out. This uh, episode again dedicated to Tink. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, cat named Tink. And thanks for listening to Ramblin' of a Grappleman this week. Uh, and again, stay classy, stay cunning, and confident, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>